and like they're screaming at each other in the hallway like screaming like we can hear them in my room (laughs) because the doctor was like don't you dare question me blah 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 and so that was like when it was like really sinking into me that this was not normal what was happening hello and welcome to healing trauma mamas i'm your host madon wingo Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Well, hello, Healing Trauma Mamas listeners. I could have a special guest on the podcast today. Chloe is joining us from here in Texas. Hi, Chloe. Hi. How are you doing today? I am good. How are you? I'm good. We're cold. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, we finally turned our fireplace on for the first time yesterday. So that was kind of a nice part of it being cold. But oh, I'm, I'm not jealous. A we turned on our fake fireplace, otherwise known as Amazon. There you go. <laughs> Cut on the fire stick and we made it look like a fireplace for a little bit. <laughs> I, I, but I like to just like leave like the crackling, you know, yes. on. I mean, that's like so peaceful. Very much so. We'll put on some quiet music and put on the fire crackles and and sit around curled up, you know, with a book and a and a nice warm blanket. Almost as good as the real thing. Yeah, absolutely. Not quite as good though. Yeah. <laughs> so, would you mind introducing yourself to the listeners? Just tell them a little bit about you. So, I am Chloe. I have basically lived my whole life in Texas with a little bit of time in Chicago, a little bit of time in Utah, but born and raised West Texas. I left West Texas about 10 years ago to attend University of Texas at San Antonio. So I lived in San Antonio for a decade. Love my San Antonio. It's always going to be my second home. But Mm -hmm. last year we moved back to Midland, um, just because we realized it's really hard to raise a kid by yourself. (laughs) And my mother-in-law is awesome, but I just think, I think most women will understand that it's, it's different having your family there to help you raise your baby versus, you know, your husband's family. So we've moved back to Midland. Um, but I had a newborn when we moved, she was four months old when we moved last October. And I, had like I've always been really interested in women's health I originally actually went to TSA to become an OBGYN and I just could not get past organic chemistry I hate chemistry anyways and organic chemistry just kicked my butt yes it kicked my butt yeah so and I took it as a freshman too because I had so many hours from taking like classes at Midland College in high school that it was just a lot for me But um, I've always been really interested. Like I saw my first um, home birth on accident when I was seven years old. My mom had a precipitous labor on our couch and she gave birth (laughs) to my sister before the EMTs even got there. So I had to like take my sister and our neighbor, like I guess had done a bunch of home births because that's what was normal in her family. So she like clamped the cord and everything. But I've just, I've always been so fascinated And so after I had my daughter, I had a really, really rough pregnancy. I have PCOS and Mm -hmm. I 
went to my doctor because I had the non-hormonal IUD, the copper one. Mm-hmm. And I kept telling her, this is giving me copper poisoning. I had like the hair follicle test and everything to prove it. And she didn't believe me, which I'm sure most women can relate to that. Um, but she she took out my um, IUD. And that day I was telling her like, you know, I've been going gluten, dairy, sugar-free. Like I'm not doing caffeine anymore just because like we do want to start trying next year. And she kind of just like brushed me off and told me that I would never be able to get pregnant on my own without like Clomid or, you know, something in that vein. And then I ovulated for the first time in three years, a week later, and we conceived our daughter the night we got engaged. <laughs> so Whoa. not necessarily planned, but like we weren't not trying, but we just expected, you know, it would take longer <laughs> than what yeah. it did. Um, so during my pregnancy, I I left that doctor because obviously like I was just not about that anymore. And I switched over to a birth center, which I did really like them in the beginning. And like originally I wanted a home birth. I've always wanted a home birth, but we switched to the birth center because that's just what made my husband feel more comfortable. And like in my doula work, I do think it's important, you know, to keep dad's like wishes in mind because I don't think that they can support you the way they need to if they're just insanely uncomfortable so we switched to the birth center and I have never had acid reflux in my life I've never had heartburn ever so I started getting this like really weird gurgling in my chest at night and I would it would wake up my husband it was so loud it sounded like there was a volcano in my chest. And so at one of my appointments, I asked them like, Hey, like, could this be acid reflux? Because I don't know, I've never experienced this before. And they just kind of told me, no, it doesn't sound like that. And I was like, okay, well then one night I woke up to that gurgling, but it was the worst pain that I had ever felt in my life. And I live with chronic pain and this was just, I mean, it was something else. And my husband called them And they just brushed us off and said it was a stomach bug. (laughs) So we went to the ER and at first they thought that I was having a pulmonary embolism, but then they figured out that it was my esophagus collapsing. Mm. So they did everything they could to like keep it from fully collapsing. But I ended up being in the hospital for like two or three days after that. And so that was like really rough. Like most people, you know, don't have their esophaguses collapse on them. during Um, And so then, you know, I had to be really careful about what I ate and everything. And then at 35 weeks, um, I actually switched from the birth center after that. And that, and I think I was, that was in April. So I was probably like five or six months pregnant. Um, And then I switched actually to the nurse midwife that I met in the hospital who, I mean, we just adored, loved her. Um, And I switched to her and at my 35 week appointment, I was covered in bruises and like rashes and I everyone kept telling me oh it's normal to be itchy like that when you're pregnant especially because I had pups which was also really rough oh (laughs) Um, yes I've been there before it is the worst it's like a it's hell on earth it is Um, oh yes I've been there yeah I went to my appointment and I was I mean like I said covered in bruises covered in a rash And it wasn't just on my stomach. And she was like, "Um, what's going on? And I just said, oh my God, Margo, I am so itchy. Like so itchy. It's keeping me from being able to sleep at night. 
And I was like, I literally have to rub my feet on my legs. Like, like I'm like a cricket at night. And she was like, are you saying that you're like itchy on your hands and feet? And I was like, yes. And then she got really serious. Yep. And she was like, um, I'm pretty sure you have ICP. We're going to go ahead and do the blood work, but it takes a week to get in. I'm scheduling you for an induction on Monday. So we went from thinking that we had, you know, I was thinking, you know, five to seven weeks as a first time mom, because, you know, I know most first time moms don't go into labor at 40 weeks. And so I was thinking like, you know, we've got five to seven weeks and we had five days. (laughs) Wow. So that was like a mess. Right. And then my husband was just like, there was so much stuff that we had to do like to make sure the baby's room was a hundred percent ready and like everything was ready to go which I mean she never slept a night in her room (laughs) but we there was just a lot that had to get done that week and my husband was just like really stressed out so that whole last week of my pregnancy was just not fun which I'm sure most people can relate to that too but like my timeline got moved way up but Mm -hmm. That's a little crazy. Well, and cholestasis, um, which that's what ICP is. Most people would hear it as cholestasis. It's it's not that common. <laughs> I mean, it's something we watch for often, but it's not, you know, it's it's not that common. So well, for you to you know what's so funny is I actually found out I was pregnant because I had gallstones. Mm-hmm. And my midwife was like, that should have been like our first indicator that we should have really been watching for this your whole pregnancy. Mm, yeah. And then afterwards I had to get my gallbladder taken out, but she said the gallstones and I didn't know this until I got ICP, but my mother-in-law, all four of her pregnancies were ICP pregnancies. Really? No one in my family has ever had ICP. My mom's had five kids and none of us like not with, I mean, she had gestational diabetes, but that was it as long, like as far as her complications. So yeah, I don't know where it came from, but I got ICP. So you guys were rushing around to get ready for baby. Yeah. And then my birth, like I said, was just a mess. Like literally anything that could have gone wrong during my birth went wrong. I was raised in like a very crunchy family. Mm-hmm. So I I just like everything that kind of came up was like completely obviously out of the norm. So I didn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't anticipating any of those things. So like what kind of things happened in the birth? Well, so I went in for my induction and they started me off on a bulb and Pitocin. And I didn't realize since I was giving birth in a teaching hospital because I gave birth at university in San Antonio that Margot wasn't really going, my midwife wasn't really going to be there most of the time. So I was being taken care of by residents, but we really loved our first doctor she was incredible, like the first resident that took care of me. And so she started me off and I was doing really well. Um, I got the, I was a, my, I was a centimeter dilated when I went in or, you know, they couldn't have done the bulb, but I think I got the bulb taken out within like three hours. That's awesome. And, you know, insanely fast for a bulb. And then, you know, I had my doula Sarah there. Um, so everything was going really, really well. Um, I was progressing really quickly. I got to a six and then it was, which is, I mean, that was less than 12 hours. So that's great for an induction at 36 weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, And then shift change happened and 
the new doctor, the new resident came in and immediately, like, I just knew that this was not going to be good. Um, Mm. And like, just to kind of like set the tone for her behavior and just like her lack of respect for her patients, she comes in, my mom is in the room, my doula is in the room, and my husband's in the room, and doesn't greet any of us. Um, She actually never directly talked to me the whole shift until the very end when she was super excited to leave. Like she never directly talked to me. She only talked about me in the third person. Mm. So she never asked for my birth plan. She would only talk to the nurse. Like it was just a really weird vibe, right? Especially going from the doctor that we had had to her. Yeah, for sure. It was like super late. I think it was like 12. And I just told my doula and my mom, like, go ahead and go home because, you know, we're probably in for a long night. And like, I would rather you be like rested and comfortable. And they kind of fought me on it because my mom was like, I don't know if I feel comfortable leaving you with that doctor. She was like, just gut feeling. And my mom and I both have really strong intuition. Mm-hmm. and even my doula was like I don't like that doctor like I don't know if I feel comfortable leaving you either but I just I didn't like I knew my doula had a little girl and I like my mom is I was raised by my grandparents that's who I'm calling my mom is actually my grandmother you know she was like 70 years old so I didn't really want either of them like just sitting on chairs when they could be home and I knew it was going to take a long time so I sent them home And then she had, like, my first cervical check with her was excruciating. Like, it, obviously, cervical checks are always going to be uncomfortable, but, like, it was just excruciating. Should not have been excruciating. Yeah, like, it. this was, like, she was not gentle at all. And, like, even the, the doctor that checked me when I got to the hospital, I mean, he was a big guy. Like, I mean big guy like he was probably like six four six five had huge hands and that cervical check didn't even hurt remotely as much as this lady Mm. so that happened and then she put me she inserted cervidil and then like I part of my birth plan was limited cervical checks especially because I knew I was being induced and I didn't want to you know increase increase my chances of getting an infection and she was just like cervical check happy. I think it had only been like two or three hours and she was already coming in trying to do another cervical check, except when she came in, I was asleep. So she comes in and I literally <laughs> woke up to her prying my legs apart in my sleep because we, my doula, had left the, yeah, my doula left the bed set up to where I was like sitting. So, you know, mm-hmm. to help me like keep progressing. So I could like still rest and everything. But yeah, she was like literally prying my legs open while I was asleep. And no, I feel like it's important to mention I'm like, that's obviously unacceptable in any circumstance. But if you're practicing medicine from a trauma informed place, Ugh. she like she never asked me like if I had a history of sexual assault. But in college, I was sexually assaulted in my sleep. Like my roommate let someone into our house and he went upstairs to my room and like locked the door. And I woke up to him like inside of me. Oh no! So I was already like, I'm very weird about like people in my space anyways after that. But especially like when I'm sleeping, like I don't like people in my bedroom, obviously mm. like, like my husband, 
And so I woke up to that and I immediately was like freaked out. And I was like, what are you doing? And she tells the nurse, what did she tell the nurse? She basically told the nurse to tell me like that they needed to check my cervix. And I was like, why? And then like, she tells the nurse to tell me why it, it was just really weird. And my husband had woken up and like, he didn't really know what was going on. And so I told her like, don't do that ever again. Like I have a history of sexual assault and that makes me very uncomfortable. And then lo and behold, like three or four hours later, here she is doing the exact same thing. <laughs> Kick her out. And well, and then like I, out of reflex, I like almost kicked her in the face and she made like Good. a really big deal about it. But again, like never addressed me personally. It was all in the third person. And I think after, so then like, cause you know, like I was a first time mom, like I didn't want to be a difficult patient. I didn't like necessarily know like what was normal and like wasn't normal mm -hmm. behavior. So the next time she came in, I said, can you at least wait? Because all of these cervical checks were like excruciating. Like I bled after the cervical checks. They were so rough. Um, mm -hmm. And after the next time, I was like, can you at least wait for my husband to wake up so he can hold my hand? And she just, ugh, and was very clearly annoyed. And before my husband was like, even to his feet, she was already trying to pry my legs open again. What? And I was just like, and I think after that is when I was finally like, this is not normal, like behavior at all. And I told one of the nurses came back in and she was checking something. And I was like, I really don't like my doctor. And she was like, well, you can ask for another doctor. And I was like, I would like another doctor. And then I never got one. Wow. I, you know, didn't know that that was like, not normal. <laughs> like, I didn't know that they like, were supposed to like go get me another doctor like when I requested it oh, um, oh. yeah I mean most people don't know these things right right and, like now as a doula I definitely know these things but so, you're the like, one hiring them and you're yeah. the one in supposed to be in charge <laughs> well so then like I think it had been like the eight hours that the servadil was in and they come back in and she measures me again and I had experienced reverse dilation well of course which, yeah is because not adrenaline normal. fear all of yeah. that is going to do that and so I went from being a six to a four and my daughter's station was worse so I think like I had been at like a minus one and she was like the doctor was like I'm pretty sure she's at like minus four right now um, so that's how hard, like, because she's retreating from that doctor. <laughs> yeah, like my daughter didn't like her either. That's we were joking about it at the time. <laughs> but so she's like, "Well, we can do more cervidil," and I was like, "Okay." And she was like, "And we need to increase your pitocin." And the nurse just looked at her like, "What are you talking about?" And so she does the cervidil again, and then the nurse is like. The nurse is like, I need to, can we talk outside before we increase her Pitocin? And then I can hear, because I had two nurses. The one that I said I wanted a different doctor was one that was in training. But my like regular nurse um, was actually was like spinning baby certified. Like her and my doula loved each other. But, awesome. Yeah. Um, she, she was a good nurse. And I can hear my doctor and the nurse get into it outside. 
because the nurse was like, you already have her on max Pitocin. So why are you asking to increase it? She was like, she's experienced reverse dilation. She's clearly not progressing. Like why, like you've already flooded her membranes. And I don't think the Pitocin, like, she was like, you can't increase it. But even if you did, it wouldn't do anything for her because you've completely flooded her membranes. And like, they're screaming at each other in the hallway, like screaming, like we can hear them in my room because the doctor was like don't you dare question me blah 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 and so that was like when it was like really sinking into me that this was not normal what was happening and and it sounds like this doctor was on some type of a power trip um, yeah and not good at her job at all (laughs) oh trust me it gets it gets worse so um the, the, the pattern just keeps happening all night and I think finally my husband like with like two or three hours left in her shift was like just don't come back like please don't come back so she comes in um at the very end of her shift does a cervical check I'm actually asleep this time or not asleep I'm awake and like no changes even though I'd done cervidil twice like to effacement or anything and she but she actually talked to me for the first time and she said well I hope you have a good day (laughs) and I was just like what the hell so then my other doctor comes back the first one that we had had and she was like I did not expect to see you here this morning she was like I really thought that you were like she was like we put bets on when you would have your baby and she was like we all said 3 (laughs) a.m like and at this point it's like 7 a.m and so she was like really shocked and she said I don't want to say she was like we can do Cervidil again and I was like well you know we did that all night and it didn't work and she literally said I don't want to say that she did it wrong but I will say she inserted the Cervidil in a way that I would not and we were like what do you mean and I, I guess the doctor was literally just shoving the cervidil like into my cervix and my other doctor said that what it how it should be done is that you dilute the cervidil in a solution of you know saline water basically and then it makes a paste and it makes the cervidil more effective that way and this lady was literally just like shoving it up there um so that was fun to find out that, you know, I had wasted 12 hours of my life. Um, <sighs> and then, so I was like, okay, let's go ahead and do the Cervidil. But like after four hours of this round of Cervidil in, cause they completely took me off Pitocin after this round, like still no changes to my cervix or, I mean, like literally nothing was changing. And so my doctor came in and she was like, there's three things that we can do. She was like, one we can send you home. You can like get all the Pitocin out of your system and then come back because she was like, you were just, it was completely misused and it's just not going to be helpful to you anymore. And then she was like, second option, we can break your water, but with the amount of cervical checks you've had, it would like, you would have to have a C-section within 16 hours. And then she was like, or you just do a c-section she was like that would be the option that i would not pick for you and so she left that's surprising that she's so good to just say hey we might can reset and just go home 
that is a bit unusual. And yeah, and at the time, like, I didn't know that that was like an amazing, obviously, we really liked her. But like now being a doula, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I would work with her over and over again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Like, I, I hope that woman is like, having the best life ever but um I we talked to my doula about it and like at this point like I just felt really like not in control of anything that was happening um I I really really struggled in my pregnancy with like loss of body autonomy just from like previous sexual assault experiences and so I was already just like really struggling Anybody who's who's had previous sexual trauma, it comes out in birth, whether it's just in your response to people being in that area, whether it's just due to the intensity. There's just so much of it that it's gonna it's bound to come out. And it's just sometimes we just have no clue which way it's going to come out in birth. Exactly. And now, like, obviously, I'm so much more informed with like how it's presenting in my clients. And that's always something that we talk about, like, have you experienced sexual assault? Have you like, you know, experienced domestic violence? Like mm-hmm. I even like, you know, like having a miscarriage or having had a previous abortion can cause scar tissue that can make labor way more intense for you. So that is something that we have to talk about. Um, but we talked with my doula and I was just feeling so out of control that I was like, um, well, one, I was really, I didn't, I didn't understand that like the actual guideline for induction for ICP is 37 weeks. So that like my having her at 36 was like kind of unusual. Like I'm happy my midwife took me seriously though, because I have seen so many women that weren't taken seriously and then they have Mm -hmm. stillbirth. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, so I didn't think that like going home was a good option for me, which now like obviously in retrospect, that would have been the best thing to do. And then I didn't, I was like, why would I sit here and like increase my, I was like, why would I sit here and let them break my water when I know it's going to make my labor more painful? And then at the end, I could still have to have a C-section. Yeah. It's like the thought of being in the hospital for 16 more hours was agonizing. And then like to think like I would go through all of that and then probably still end up with a C-section. I wasn't about that. So then I've already been there so long. Yeah, I and at this point I and I also hadn't eaten in like over 40 hours. Ugh. And I have, you know, issues with my blood sugar and I kept telling them like I don't feel good and then they were like, "Well, we'll just give you sugar water." And I'm like, "No, I need real food." Yeah. Um yeah. And then and my husband had like been sneaking me fruit and stuff, but good for him. Yeah. I now I always keep um honey sticks in my bag, but mm-hmm. So we just talked about it and I just like decided on the C-section and like in my gut, it just felt like that was right for me. And like, to this day, I have no regrets about like the choice that I made. Do I want another C-section? No, but. I'm glad that you don't have any regrets about it. Like you made an informed decision and like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And I, I just like, and it was a way for me to get control over my own body again. Mm. Cause I had had, you know, like obviously my options taken away from me and then that, and I even, I even told my doctor when we told her like, okay, we want to do a C-section. I was like, I'm sorry. I know it increases the hospital C-section rate. She was like, oh my gosh. Like she was like, <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. Don't feel bad. Oh. <laughs> and like we, and we like, I was still processing things. So I hadn't even like brought up the like insane cervical checks or anything. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they prepped me for surgery. I went back and like 40 minutes later, my daughter was born. Um, but this is where it's like literally everything that could go wrong went wrong. Um, my daughter was born and pediatrics actually never came in to get my birth plan. So they like didn't know that I wanted a family-friendly C-section and no one told them. And a family-friendly C-section is, you know, where you have the clear um, thing where you can see everything and they immediately hand you the baby and it's like, you know, you can breastfeed and like you don't have your arms tied down and everything. Mm -hmm. That did not happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw her, I think, I saw her maybe for like 10 seconds. John, my husband, brought her to me. But I was like so messed up on the drugs that I thought that he was like handing me a baby doll because she had died. Um, yeah, but she was, I mean, it's kind of an, like a ode to like how perfect she looked when she was born. But um, and then they like took her away from him and he was really confused and he followed them to the nursery and they started giving her a bottle and he was like, what is going on? Like, that's not like what we wanted. And no one's telling him anything, giving him any answers. So my husband, being the hothead that he is, like punched a hole in the wall at the hospital. <laughs> and they like sent security over and he told security what was going on. And they were like, yeah, that's really weird. And so the head of pediatrics comes out and literally apologizes to my husband and said, there's no re- like you're literally wearing a father band. All they had to do was look at your wrist and like know that you're this baby's father. Um, and then they and listen to him. Her- <laughs> Yeah. And then they finally, well, what happened was her, she was born with really low blood sugar, which, you know, ironically, I kept complaining that I didn't feel good and that there was something off with my blood sugar uh-huh. and they didn't let me eat. So then she was born, like her blood sugar was like 23 and that's why they were giving her a bottle, but they, they bring her to me finally. And I'm like trying to breastfeed. And like, like I said, I come from like a very crunchy family. Like if I got headaches when I was a little kid, my grandma made me do an enema and sit in the sauna, like mm-hmm. not like Tylenol. And like most people in my family breastfed. So I have really good examples of these things. Right. But I also like thought it was going to be easy and it wasn't. Um, but I just like, I could tell like by that first night that something was up with her latch and it looked like she was feeding but she was never ever um like satisfied like ever Mm. like she never like went to sleep after a feed like I would go to sleep but like she wouldn't and so we had like five lactation consultants come in while we were in the hospital and all of them like not a single one of them watched her latch what they just said like oh mama like you're doing a good job which also didn't make sense to me because they let us leave the hospital after she had lost 12 percent of her body weight and she was already really small. Like when she was, it's, you know, it's funny because like on like the the scans, they always tell you your baby's going to be way bigger than what it is. So like the, we thought that we were going to have an eight pound baby. And then she was born and she was five pounds, 15.9 ounces. And she had mm. already lost 12% of her body weight. But then they discharged us, which I thought was kind of weird. But um, my, it was actually supposed to be my bachelorette party that weekend. <laughs> I had like friends in town well like my sisters and my sister-in-law were in town and they were helping so it ended up being like perfect timing right but my like there was one night that like I mean she just would not stop crying like and I had never seen a baby cry this much and she would not stop crying well then like 
my sister stayed up with her one night and then she would just bring her to me every two hours to feed. And my sister walked 20,000 steps in one night trying to keep her calm because if she sat down, it was just like off the rails, like screaming bloody murder. Um, and the only thing that helped her not scream so loud was, you know, keep walking. But the next day, my sister-in-law and my husband's grandma came over and my sister-in-law was like, I just really think that you need to give her formula. And she was like, I know you want to breastfeed, but like, just see if formula helps the screaming. Cause I think everyone was exhausted at this point. Um, and I finally like caved and I gave her formula. And then the next day was her first wellness check. And at her wellness check, I mean, we didn't even have clothes that fit her because she was in micro preemie clothing, mm-hmm. like preemie clothes, but they swallowed her and she was so small. And we took her to her wellness check and like immediately, as soon as they took her temperature, they got like really serious and they kept having different nurses come in and like check her. And then finally the doctor comes in and she was like, um, so your child is hypothermic. And she lost 15% of her body weight. Mm -hmm. And we need to take her to the NICU immediately. So then they like, John went home to pack a bag. And then they got her ready. And like, they had like this special machine for her to like keep her warm. And they had her like, you know, wrapped in like the like aluminum looking blankets Mm -hmm. and all of that. And I was just like, sobbing because I was like, what the heck? Like, you know, like I hadn't even fully processed my birth and what happened. And then like, now we're headed to the NICU with our baby. And the doctor told me that if I hadn't started her on formula the night before, she probably would have died that night. Oh, goodness. So I, I was just, obviously I was like a mess and thank God for the nurses that we had in the NICU because they were amazing. And our lactation counselor in the NICU was amazing. And she told me like, basically they said that it's really common for them to get babies from maternity in the NICU like the 36 weekers because one the lactation counselors suck but two I guess like and now I know this but now like 36 weekers are really susceptible to health issues and like they literally call them like the great pretenders or they call them tricky babies because a Mm -hmm. lot of 36 weekers aren't born with the like fine motor development to be able to latch So basically what was happening was it looked like she was feeding, but she wasn't actually emptying anything or, and getting like any sustenance. So, and you know, that was happening for, she was born on a Tuesday and this was Saturday. So that's, you know. Did they not tell you in the hospital? Did they not tell you to watch her diapers, to count her wets and her poop diapers? And And she she was having wet diapers and poop diapers, but I was Mm. also harvesting colostrum. Okay. So I would take the colostrum from my haka and then we were giving it to her in syringes in between like breastfeeds because I just didn't feel like she was ever satisfied, right? Yeah, it sounds like she wasn't for sure. Yeah, so then we ended up in the NICU, which was fun. Um, but no, we we really had like such amazing doctors and nurses in the NICU. They even like had a special nurse who was also a psychologist assigned to us to like help me with bonding, um, just because it was more difficult, like you know, getting to take her home and then seeing her in the NICU. 
Mm. That was good. Um, and then she was in the NICU for exactly a week and we got her back up to birth weight. And then after that, she was, I did a combination feeding just because I didn't trust myself after that point to like, and also nipple guards are awful. I hate them. (laughs) I understand. Yeah. She needed a nipple guard to feed and I would be like, it'd be the middle of the night, you know, and like, you're trying to get the nipple guard on and then the baby's knocking it off and it's Mm -hmm. dark. I, I hated the nipple guard. So like I pumped and then she like did combination feeding, but yeah, it was like, I just like didn't expect anything that happened to me in my pregnancy or birth to happen like at all. I think like I was very naive to think that like breastfeeding would just be this easy thing. And, you know, for some people it is like their baby just latches and, you know, it's good. And like, they don't really have problems. Um, and that was not my experience. <laughs> um, and just everything that happened from, you know, my pregnancy to like us ending up in the NICU, I was like really depressed and I was having, like, I dealt with postpartum rage really bad Mm. and I was just not like coping well. Like I really don't remember the first few months of her being alive, like at all really. And then I kept failing my postpartum depression test because, you know, if you keep failing it, they have to keep retesting you. And finally, I just, I told her pediatrician, I was like, I am pretty sure I was sexually assaulted like during my birth. And so I was like telling her the story and immediately, um, because my daughter's pediatrician was through university, they had a bunch of resources. And so like immediately called in a patient advocate and a social worker, like during her appointment, like they brought them in and she like they encouraged me to file charges and then they also encouraged me to like open an investigation at the hospital and then they like gave me a bunch of like mental health resources like thank god because I was suffering um so we opened an investigation with the hospital and then at San Antonio PD like did nothing they like I would call their investigators and like call the person that was assigned to me and like literally they did nothing um so that was frustrating, but the hospital did an investigation and cause we also reported her to the medical board and the hospital did an investigation and they told me that they couldn't tell me the results of the investigation because it was like an internal thing. But when I looked at their website, she was no longer an employee. And then like the Texas medical board actually, you know, followed up with me and she's not allowed to practice in the state of Texas anymore. Good. Yeah. So I got like some vindication, like I am really happy that like she can't do that to anyone ever again, because I honestly, like I doubt that I was the only person she did that to. Right. Like I just, clearly the woman had issues and should not be practicing medicine or like dealing with people at all. But it's like, I mean, it's been a really long journey for me. Like I, I am in therapy. I work with, um, I'm, I see a therapist that's like specifically, um, like sexual assault informed and domestic violence informed. And like, that's what she works with is that population. And she's been great. Um, but you know, it's been a lot of inner work that I have to do, especially because my therapist jokes that like being a doula is almost like, um, exposure therapy. Yes. 
because yeah. I, I there have been instances where I see obstetric violence and I always have to call my therapist and be like, hey, we're going to need an extra session this week. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really hard when you're on that side as the doula and you see them acting in that manner. Like I left a birth once, like I almost punched the doctor in the face. Yeah, and, I mean, it's horrifying, especially and like, then I was sick. Like I cried for a day after and it wasn't my birth but I was there and I felt like I was somehow uh helping with the assault yeah I well so one birth I did and this was like pretty fresh like this was like February of this year so it was only like eight months after my assault and because it's hard because it's also the day my daughter was born but it's also the day I was assaulted but um I went I was at this birth and this doctor, I mean, my client had like labored beautifully, like by far, probably one of the most peaceful, like transitions I have ever seen. Like she was just a freaking rock star. Like she absolutely did not need me, but she, she just was doing so well. And then, um, I could tell like, you know, if someone says, Hey, I need to poop. Okay. Well, you probably, let's get you checked and right. see where you are. And so I called the nurse and I was like, I'm pretty sure she's ready to start pushing. So the nurse comes in and um, with like the charge nurse, which like, I don't know why the charge nurse needed to be there because that lady was also awful, but um, they check her and like, they're like, okay, yeah, like you're ready to push. Your water's probably going to break when you start pushing because her water hadn't broken yet. And then the doctor comes in and I actually won't work with this doctor ever again. Like I refuse, but the doctor comes in and she's like, and as my client is rolling onto her knees, because that's where she felt most comfortable. And the doctor had also told her, you can push in any position you want, which, you know, is pretty common, like the old switcheroo. But um, she comes in and she's like, um, what are you doing? You need to get on your back. You're pushing on your back. And my client's husband was like, um, no, she's not pushing on her back. She doesn't want to push on her back. And then the nurse and the doctor, just like the head charging nurse and the doctor kind of look at each other. And then they like forcibly move her onto her back. Wow. And yeah, I was like watching this and I'm like, I was like a really new doula. Like this was one of my first births on my own. So I was like watching this, like, uh, what do I do? Because I like, I don't, I didn't want to insert myself in a way that like, you know, would get me kicked out of the hospital and I could never go to that hospital ever again. But I also didn't want to like, it was just a weird, I mean, it was a very uncomfortable situation for me. Mm. And then the stirrup on the bed was broken. So they asked me to hold the stirrup for them. Yeah. And after that birth, it was definitely one of those times that I like immediately called my therapist and I was like, um, I'm going to need some extra sessions. Yeah, that's rough. And I just, I won't work with that doctor ever again. If I have a client that says that that's who they're working with, I'm like, look, like, totally up to you, totally your choice. But if you want to work with me, you're going to have to get a different doctor and I can give you great recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had one of those, um, too, that just like, nope, not again, not going to yeah, happen. I, and it's crazy because other doulas have had the same experience with her. Um, and I know even like other midwives have had the same experience with her. But like, if you report to the Texas Medical Board, it's not anonymous. Mm -hmm. So 
it's just like a, it puts us in like a horrible position and all I can do is like tell people don't like go to this doctor yeah because you don't want it to get reported to her and then they get treated even worse yeah yeah that's that's very hard so you worked through by seeing a therapist after your birth and then really I work with um, a yoga instructor too, who like specifically works on like somatic like release. So basically like it's yoga aimed at helping because you know, the body keeps the score. So it's help. Mm -hmm. It's aimed at helping release trapped trauma because I know that I have like, I've already been dealing with it, a lot of issues in my pelvis and it all started after my birth. So I've been working with that. And then also like, you know, taking like good supplements and taking care of my body makes a huge mm -hmm. difference. And then I'm in like medication. I'm medicated for my ADHD and then anxiety. Which that's pretty common. Yeah. So do you feel like you've been on the road to healing? Do you feel like being a doula has actually helped you work through that process too? I think yes, but it's, it's kind of, you know, what my therapist jokes about exposure therapy, because I like love what I do and I never want to approach things from, because to me, you can tell if someone in birth work hasn't done their own work. Mm -hmm. I think it's very obvious. And I just never, ever want to project my own issues onto my clients. Um, but at the same time, like it is like, you know, I see things like pop up all the time and I have to like immediately check myself, which I think is like normal and healthy, but it's definitely like, it's been helpful. And I think when I, like, I, obviously I see more positive, beautiful births than I see like really rough ones. Mm -hmm. And to me, like, that's just so insanely healing to like, see someone have a beautiful pregnancy. I mean, obviously pregnancy is like, uncomfortable <laughs> like even if you love being pregnant you probably don't love like the last three months of it but um like seeing someone have a really beautiful pregnancy and then just like a really amazing birth and they're like so satisfied and so happy with their birth like it's just so beautiful to me like mm -hmm. I cry at every single birth <laughs> because I, I just, yeah I, I just I think it's so magical it's so beautiful and I see so many more of those births than I've ever, like, I think I've really only seen like one or two like bad births beyond my own. So I don't have to deal with it very often. Um, like the things like resurfacing, like after a birth, mm -hmm. but I just think I like, I think if you've had a traumatic birth, it's so important to like, like the whole first half of Ina May's guide to childbirth, I think is amazing because especially if you've had a traumatic birth to read, because it's all these really different but really positive birth stories. Yeah, they're awesome. I read, I reread it with every single one of my pregnancies. Yeah, I, I think it's such an important book. Mm -hmm. That and Spiritual Midwifery are both really good books to read. Mm -hmm. Also, there was another one that I read that was like very healing for me, but it was called um, Cut, Stapled, and Mended. And it's the memoir of a woman who attempted two home births and they both ended up in c-sections and then with her third birth she really just like did the work did the preparation i i mean it's like crazy everything that she did but she ended up getting her home birth v-back with her third 
Mm. Yay. I love those stories. Yeah. And I think too, like what, like obviously what happened to me is awful. Um, I would never wish that on anyone, but instead of like taking a stance, like why me, which sometimes I do definitely feel like that, but for the most part, I don't, but like I now, like I, my passion and my doula work is working with like second, you know, plus moms and VBACs. Like that is what I love to do. Like I'll I'll work with first time moms and I like them. Um, I don't take clients I don't like, but I think like, I'm just so much more passionate about those like moms of multiples or Mm -hmm. VBAC. Well, those VBAC moms, it's just so victorious. (laughs) It's, it's like popping a pimple I don't know it's just so sad <laughs> but it really is like, wonderful like, right now three of my clients are v-backs and two of them are in December and I'm just especially my like right now like my December clients I'm so proud of them with how they've approached their pregnancies and like they're just so committed to their v-backs mm, I love it well, so it's, for you in the future, what I assume that's what you're looking for. Yes, I I really want a home birth next. I just, I've always, like, I don't know why. I honestly, I think what happened, I was like seven and somehow I watched um, orgasmic birth and I saw like the water births, like at home water births in that movie and was just I think honestly I saw it on like HBO too but I was like have ever since then just really wanted an at-home water birth and my husband you know like I said like just was absolutely not comfortable with that um like my husband's family has like very medicalized births which is really common in like the Hispanic community and my husband's Hispanic but um now like he's completely on board with that awesome it's just you know a matter of like really watching to make sure I don't get ICP again and like hoping, you know, and like I've, I've gone to pelvic floor PT. So I'm actually like a really good candidate for VBAC now, but it's just like hoping everything goes right. Well, now you have, you know, a lot of information to help really work on, you know, making, taking all those steps ahead of time to prepare. Uh, you can work on how, you know, different things like dandelion and things to help with your liver to make sure it's working appropriately and you can you have more information now that you didn't have before exactly and I think like I I'm like I said I have ADHD so like I'm neurodivergent and so when I'm like really into something I'm like really really into it so I think my doula work has like been really healing for me just like learning because I've always been like the type of person where like you don't know what you don't know but I'm not gonna not know this next time around yeah I also like just the whole experience that we had with breastfeeding, like I'm getting my CLC starting in January. Oh, awesome. So, and I want to like really focus on like moms of preemies. So, which That's we great. don't really have in our community at all, but yeah, just like the learning has helped me so much and like to be more forgiving of myself because I'm a doula and I'm like very into education and like making sure that I'm coming from an evidence-based standpoint. Mm-hmm. And there's just, there's so much, one, there's so much misinformation out there. It's insane. And two, there are just so many things I still don't know. So I can only like, obviously I've been in the position before where I wasn't, you know, a birth worker 
it's just really hard to find good information and to like be fully educated on all your options when it comes to birth. Yep, we're learning all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's like constant. I mean, you know, before this, we were talking about book recommendations, but. Mm hmm. Yep. So um, if if anybody's listening, they happen to be in the Midland area and they want to look you up um, for doula services, where can they contact you? So my website and all of my socials are literally the same thing. Marketing, you know, brain that I have. So everything is going to be at Midland Doula. So my website is midlanddoula.com. My Instagram is Midland Doula. My TikTok is Midland Doula. And my Facebook page should show up under that as well. Awesome. And we'll make sure to link in the show notes for everyone for that. Well, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Chloe. And I love to see the empowerment that you have and the the restoration kind of and, and being able to see that that provider is no longer practicing in the state of Texas and that there are good providers out there that you've been able to work with some really good ones since then and empowering yourself and, and what a difference that that makes for yourself and for your clients. Yes. And even for my daughter, because I don't want her to view her birth negatively someday. Thank you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your Creator, so be who He created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time, Shalom.